You are tuned into the Afternoon Cruise on Jazz 88, and I'm chatting with Mark Rabot, who's coming through town to play a solo show on Sunday at the Cedar Cultural Center. Mark, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with Jazz 88 before your show. My pleasure. Now, Mark, you're going to be doing kind of an exploratory show because you're not bringing a band, you're not bringing a set list. You're going to be stepping up there and playing solo. What do you like about delivering a performance like that where it's just you and the audience? Well, the band is when when you play solo, the band is always tight. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. If I decide to stop, everybody stops. If I decide to start, everybody starts. It's a unique experience uh, in in my ensembles. I've been playing solo guitar since I've been 10 years old. Gotcha. It's something I love to do. I've got to the point where I, I feel very comfortable with it. I love the guitar I'm playing on for the guitar nerds out there. It's a, it's a, a Gibson HG00, and it's very old and about to fall apart, but it sounds in a way, it sounds great. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know what to say. I just like doing it and and the freedom of being able to free associate and um and play play whatever comes into my head is uh that's a kind of improvising too even if even when I'm not improvising improvising a set list is right. is a a major american poetry form it it doesn't seem like a total surprise to me that you're playing a beautiful guitar that's almost falling apart because certainly in some of your recorded work I hear the the spirit of beauty, but I also hear the spirit of sort of exposing really raw emotions. There's times where your playing reminds me more of a Neil Young than some of jazz contemporaries because it seems like you're kind of beautifully fighting with the guitar, beautifully exploring the instrument in in a way that isn't necessarily um, familiar to me from a lot of other jazz musicians. Uh, not to say you're not on one island, but it just seems to be a really unique approach to the instrument. And you put a whole lot of emotion into every note on the music I hear. And I was curious, is that kind of just how you started playing? Or did you at some points go, I got to take a left turn and start really making that my trademark? Well, I never decided to make anything my trademark. You know, I mean, most of those questions are better directed at my shrink. But, um, well, I have a kind of strange relation to jazz. I mean, like every young guitarist who's becoming aware of what is possible on their instrument, I quickly understood that the people who are playing jazz could play my instrument better than anybody else. And so naturally I wanted to, you know, I figured, okay, I want to be able to do this better than everybody else too. Only I kind of couldn't, you know, first of all, I'm like, well, for kind of strange reasons, I'm left-handed, but I play guitar right hand. You know, when I asked my guitar teacher, why, you know, years later after I was playing professionally, I asked my guitar teacher, how come he taught me like right-handed? Didn't he know I was left-handed? He says, well, yeah, I knew, but your mother, it was your mother's idea. She said, you know, teach him, teach him right-handed. She said that, that I wasn't really left-handed. I was just doing it to annoy her. <laughs> and then I asked my mother about that. And she said, um, no, that's not true. Franz, who was my teacher, he was just too lazy to restring the guitar. Uh, and he said, ah, why bother? The kid will quit in a couple of weeks anyways. 
And in a way, I think that both of them were telling the truth. But anyways, so it was quickly obvious to me that I was never going to be Joe Pass, you know, like, or I suppose I could give more contemporary. Oh, and the fact that I would never be George, Joe Pass or, or at the time when I was younger, uh, George Benson was also impressed on me by the band leaders on earlier jazz gigs that I did. <laughs> For example, Jack McDuff used to complain regularly when we were driving different places in the Midwest, he would drive for a long time with his headphones and then take them off to remind me of yet another way in which I compared unfavorably with George Benson. And it was all true. But eventually, at a certain point, you know, I, I started to realize that what I was, there was a reason why I played the way I played, um, other than simply... Uh, other than simply lack of capacity, um, I realized I was hearing, the, I mean, I th what I think Macduff and I, underneath everything, what the dispute was, was about a way of hearing the eighth note and of constructing solos. Because I noticed that, like, you know, if you listen to, if you listen to that dividing line between rock, between T-Bone Walker and Chuck Berry, if you listen to that dividing line between jump blues and rock and between jazz jump blues and rock what you hear is that like with with jump blues or jazz player they feel like they have all the time in the world to get to the end of the solo even if the solo is just 12 bars and with a rock player like they feel like they're they have to get it all out because they're you know somebody's going to shoot them soon even if the solo is 10 minutes so I realized I was closer to, for reasons that might have be world historical or world hysterical. I was closer to the latter. And so at a certain point, I just said, okay, well, like Popeye, I am what I am, you know? <laughs> and I decided to, to make the most of it and, and, and have had a lot of affection for a lot of jazz artists. I mean, I would have given my left foot to be George Benson at the moments that Brother Jack was reminding me that I wasn't. I really, you know, I was like, whatever, 24 or 25. I, I wanted to be that, right. you know? Yeah, I what, what I realized was um, I've had a lot of affection for this music, but, well, for different parts of jazz, by no means for all of jazz. When people say they like jazz, I wonder what they're really talking about because a lot of jazz musicians, like now everybody, everybody recognized Ornette Coleman's genius, but at the time he came out, there were fist fights among people who love jazz. The same with Albert Eiler. He was not recognized by all in the audience or critics or other musicians as a jazz musician. Right. It This took time and, you know, in some quarters, it never arrived. So I have huge affection for the music of Albert Eiler, Ornette Coleman, and a whole lot of other jazz. And by the way, and Jack McDuff. I mean, when it, when I was when I played with Brother Jack briefly, I didn't do it long by mutual agreement. Um, in you know maybe about four months, quite a while ago, I thought, wow, this is so intense. It's it's not really fundamentally. It's visceral music. It's reminded me of what was happening at the same time at CBGB's. 
I thought, you know, okay, it's a different approach than Richard Hell, but but not a di- not entirely a different intention. You know, there's this intention to tear your guts out. Uh, and on a good night, it really worked. So, yeah, I realized while I had affection for the music, I wasn't, I, I didn't define myself as a jazz musician, you know? I mean, I'd studied it and I wanted to play it, but wanting isn't the same thing as 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 being. Yeah. And so what happened was, um, you know, I was playing in rock bands, R&B bands, um, and eventually um, I got called to play in the Lounge Lizards. During that time, and oh, also, if truth be told, I was making bread by playing at weddings and stuff, which was really interesting because I love playing for people to dance. And yet the experience was very alienating. I don't know why that is, because some of my favorite music um, is ethnomusic recordings made at weddings. So how come how come I like the how come we all love the wedding music from the Isle, island of Kirk in Croatia, whereas we hate the wedding music that we are forced to play at Leonard's of Great Neck. Yeah. You know, this is a, a <laughs> cultural mystery. But it didn't matter because by the time I was and and part of that music that we were forced to play and hated was was jazz standards, standards. Adding to that what I my growing hatred was, you know, was a leftover Oedipal conflict because this of course was the music of my parents. My mother was a, a Bobby Soxer who swooned for Frank Sinatra and went, you know, did, did Lindy hopping, you know, like, so there was all that stuff thrown in the mix. And in the loungers, I could express my, um, I, I got to destroy the idiom. You know, I got to attack it frontally with like loud noise and that somehow also incorporated certain parts of jazz and then all of a sudden magically we were headlining jazz festivals <laughs> i returned i returned to the genre by a very strange route now do you feel like you sort of came up around a group of like-minded individuals who were having some similar relationship to jazz when i think about John Zorn or John Lurie or even uh, Modesky Martin and Wood or these folks is, is do you feel like there was sort of a, a rising tide of of jazz educated musicians who maybe inside their fingers or inside some of their listening history brought more rock to the conversation? Um, and I would yes, and I would certainly add to that list so as to not make it. I mean, there's an interesting. Uh, racial dynamic that needs to be acknowledged Absolutely. when talking honestly about this. I would add Sonny Chirac to that list, James Blood Ulmer. I'd add a, uh, a lot of other people, including Ornette's primetime band. Uh, and I would add um, Ardo Lindsay, uh, the, the Brazilian Ardo Lindsay. And um, yeah, it was a, a very, but, to answer your question directly, yeah, I felt like I identified with the no wave movement. Gotcha. You know, I'm hanging out with Mark Rabot, who's coming through town to play a solo show on Sunday over the Cedar Cultural Center, and we're getting a great education about uh, Mark's history, which is long and lettered and really pretty impressive. And right now, Mark, we're kind of we've been talking a little bit about 
you discovering your connection with a lot of different musicians and acknowledging, and I appreciate you acknowledging, this this racial component where there really was a lot of these headliners of these jazz fests who had a relationship to jazz. You saw a lot of white white men, not exclusively white men, but a lot of white men sort of uh, being in, involved in this scene um, in New York. And you very uh, pointedly pointed out that there, it wasn't exclusively white men. And we love the music of Sonny Chirac. We love celebrating artists like that. Did you feel different from some of these players because you had the pedigree of going, I did play with Jack McDuff. I have sort of done, you know, my wedding gig time. I'm not I'm not sitting here only knowing how to do what I'm doing now. I, I have a, a, a deeper education maybe than some of the folks in the world you're in, or did that not come into play? Well, you know, there's there's always a thing on a on a scene where you get the people who are the purest conceptualists of it who start something out like you know and then you get the people who maybe want to realize the conception in a different way so i would say that when i came into the lounge well i mean i was i was working with uh i was listening to and sometimes working with new music composers before i was in the lounge so i was doing all at the same time you know i played in pieces by peter zumo i was listening to philip corner daniel good soho scene new music composers and and listening you know going to cbgb's and tier tier three and different places to check out the no wave stuff i'm sorry remind me the question again i was asking if your pedigree inside of a group like jack oh, mcduff's yeah. sort of well, gave you a different you know vibe. in other words after art at a certain point john and evan wanted like the initial thing of the lounge lizards was the initial role of the guitar in the lounge lizards was filled by Ardo Lindsay, who was brilliant and, and still is by the way, if you haven't checked out his recent solo shows or band shows, you should, he's, he's doing fantastic work without ever having learned once to tune the guitar in a traditional way <laughs> um, at all. You know, he's very, I mean, it's cliche to say, but Art is a very Cajun, John Cajun guitarist. He just listens to it and turns the tuning pegs until he's happy or or unhappy or whatever he wants to express that day. On the other hand, Ardo couldn't read a piece of music or couldn't necessarily repeat the same, um, you know, if a, a part, if, if the Lurie brothers wanted something that was complex or you know, had to be memorized. That wasn't Arto's forte, mm. but conceptually, Arto Arto got it right, bringing atonality and noise, um, and punk rock into a into into the jazz kind of repertoire. I mean, the first two their first gig considered consisted of one long jam on "Well You Needn't," the Thelonious Monk tune, and that was the only tune they they knew. <laughs> So the fact that I could, I knew what what note was what, and I could write it down on a piece of paper, constituted being more advanced in that scene. You know, mm. um, Zorn, on the other hand, you know, of course, is highly trained, right. uh, and as are a lot of the other people around him. I mean, Anthony Coleman, a lot of the other players are on the scene. Were, Elliot Sharp is also a trained composer. Yeah, a lot of. People were considerably better educated than I was. I'd mostly come up playing. Right. Um, so actually it was a mixed bag because most of the people who it, it's very hard to 
learn how to play and 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 acquire a musical quote unquote education without fetishizing that um i mean you have to so i i learned what i learned i studied harmony to the extent i did i never thought that i could play better than ardo i still don't think so today i think i've worked in his poetic basically that's that that's insightful and there is a thing if somebody gets a degree or somebody gets a certain education they suddenly feel like it's it's a, a credential when it really it isn't a credential for what you're trying to do which is communicate emotion so if it gets you further in that way great and if it doesn't it might have been not quite as useful um, i mean i think people like music because it's one of the few areas in your life where we're not subjected to professional uh dictatorship you know if mm-hmm. i mean if you don't hire like you know if you get arrested and you don't hire a lawyer you're gonna go to jail for a long time if you you don't, you know, if you don't do what the teacher says, you're going to flunk out of school. You know, the, if you don't uh, go to the person with that doctor's thing, you know, you can get in big trouble, you know, but uh, but you can go down. You can go down in the club and hear people just, you know, tear it up and make complete noise. And it's a lot of fun. Well, you, you never heard about the people who got a divorce because the husband wanted to hire Arto Lindsay for the wedding band? <laughs> well, but Mark, you don't hear about the ones that, that are happily married exactly you know, where Ardo played at their wedding you see you raise a good point i've been chatting with mark rabot who's it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you he's coming through town he's playing on sunday night over at the cedar cultural center um, after i do a little bit of traffic i do want to play a tune from your catalog so i want to uh pick something from a, an artist or a composer i should say named franz cassius who was uh, one of the first artists that you dedicated uh, some of your work to playing his music. And you said it sometimes makes its way into your solo performances. Um, what did you learn from exploring Franz Cassius's, and I hope I'm, I think I'm saying it wrong, so hopefully you can correct me, what did you learn uh, from playing this person's music? Well, Franz was not just somebody whose music I interpreted. Franz was my guitar teacher, mm. like when I was 10. And Franz is a Haitian classical guitar well, Franz was a a Haitian classical guitar composer and and guitarist, and you can hear Franz's own music on uh, Smithsonian Folkways. I recommend Haitian Dances, Haitian Suite. It's an amazing recording. So I studied with Franz from when I was like I don't know nine or ten till when I was like thirteen. I was a terrible, you know. Franz was a very understanding person, like his his. Uh, teaching method was not to go heavy on technique and indeed my technique to this day remains atrocious but he said you know teach the kid some uh some tunes so that he can impress his friends and then maybe he'll come back for more and so that's how it went and so i would some of the tunes that franz taught me then were his own if you'd asked me what i learned from Franz, like when I was in my 20s, I'd say, well, you know, I took lessons with Franz and that was cool. You know, we went our different, we had different aesthetics. I came to realize that, you know, in all of Franz's music and in hey, even when Franz would play Bach, okay, there was this thing where if he was playing in four, you could also feel it in three and vice versa. So this is like a, this, there's a polyrhythmic feel to his music and understandings in his music um, in a lot of it, not in all, but in, in, in most of it, that's very deeply a part of Haitian music and black music in general. And so I think I, 
I don't know if I learned that, but I feel like I kind of absorbed it a little bit. I, I used to think everybody felt, heard things that way, but then I realized not everybody does. Um, strange, <laughs> but yeah. So that's what I got. I also got from Franz what students of classical guitar get. That's a lesson in musicianship and in life, which is that if you take these things, you can take these things that are literally that are almost impossible to do physically and almost impossible to memorize intellectually. And you can do them if you break them up into very small pieces and go very slowly. Mm. He was always telling me to slow down. And that was an important lesson. Well, this has been beautiful to get this uh, education and this conversation with you, Mark, and really looking forward to the show on Sunday. We'll hear some of your interpretations of France's music uh, around the break. But uh, just thank you for taking time to chat with Jazz88, and I'm looking forward to catching the show on Sunday. Okay. Be well. All right. You as well, Mark. Thank you for your time. Thanks.